All right, good morning, everyone. I'm glad to see everybody here today. We have a nice full house. This morning, we are going to be reading from Galatians 5, verses 13 through 15. That is page 975 in your pew Bible. I will give you a moment to look that up. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, lest you be consumed by one another. Amen. This is the word of God. Good morning, church. It's good to be with you this morning. I'm glad to be back. I've been away for a few weeks. It is good to be home, home with our church family. We have been in this series this summer called One Another. One Another, where we have been looking at the commands in the New Testament that teach us how to relate to one another as a church and the world around us, right? That we are a community, that we need one another. In fact, one of the ways that we celebrate our community is a simple way like these flowers here. So this morning, these flowers are placed by John Hansen in honor of his wife, Regina, for their 36th wedding anniversary. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. As someone remarked to me this, this week that if this series has taught us nothing else, it has taught us that we need one another. We all know that relationships are messy. Relationships in our families, in our home with extended family. Relationships in families are messy. Relationships with coworkers are messy. Relationships among friends, neighbors, roommates, they're messy. We also know that we are wired for relationship. And so relationships are a mess worth making. And thankfully, God makes it clear in his word, in the Bible, here's, here's what it looks like to live in community with one another. Here's how we treat one another in order to relate to one another in healthy ways. Love one another, welcome one another, count one another more significant than yourselves, exhort one another. This is God's design for healthy relationships. And yet there's this deep pull inside of us that wants to do the exact opposite. Right? We don't want to do these kinds of things. Leave me alone and let me do my own thing. And so that's why we need divine help. Right? That's why we need God's grace to change our hearts to live this way. Today's message is serve one another. Serve one another. One of the greatest values in our world today is freedom. Freedom. We love freedom, don't we? Especially in the, in the West. We love freedom. It should come as no surprise to you. We love stories that are freedom stories. Right? If you're old enough to remember Braveheart, William Wallace, right? Leading the people of Scotland to defend their land. And, and he's taken and he's captured. And he's literally at the end of the movie, he's being tortured. And the guy's saying, just recant and we'll ease your suffering. And it looks like he's going to say something. And, and he called, the guy called him the crowd, listen, listen, listen. And they want him to recant. And the last thing he says with his last dying breath is, freedom, right? We love that. Give me a sword. I need to be free. What, what can I do? 
Or for the kids, there are no children's church today, the kids are in here, think of movies like Finding Nemo. I love that movie. I'm a kid. A, a, a clownfish who feels stuck on this anemone and he, and he wants to feel, be free. He wants to explore the ocean. And what happens? That freedom takes him on a wild adventure that helps him kind of figure out and define for himself what does freedom actually mean? We all have this deep longing for freedom. Our text today in verse 13 says, For freedom, for you are called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Verse 1 says it even stronger of Galatians 5. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Paul is literally saying Christianity at its core is all about freedom. Let me ask you, is that how you think of Christianity? Many people think the exact opposite. That Christianity is all about rules that confine us, that constrict us, that keep us from being too free. In fact, I find that when I've I've shared the gospel with people in our community, often I hear things like, I like Jesus. I want to learn from Jesus. I think the Bible is really interesting and inspiring, but I don't want to give up my freedoms. And that begs the question, what is freedom? What is freedom? And how come right in the middle of a discussion on freedom in Galatians 5, how come right in the middle of that does Paul give us the command to serve one another? I want to tackle those two questions. What is freedom? And then how does that relate to the command to serve one another? Two lessons today. The first one is this. Lesson one, only the gospel brings true freedom. Let me look at Galatians 5, look back up at verse 1, and then we'll read verse 13 from our text today. Verse 1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Then verse 13, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Just let this sink in a moment. Verse 1 teaches that the very purpose of Jesus Christ coming to earth, the purpose of God becoming incarnate as a man, as a human, the very purpose of that is for, and, and of him living and dying and rising again, the very purpose is to set you free. In fact, he says it twice. He's redundant. It's for freedom Christ set you free. And then in verse 13, the purpose of God calling you to himself, literally the ultimate goal of God bringing you into his family, making you his own, adopting you as a child of his, the very purpose of that that calling is to give you and make you free. Do you believe that? I submit to you that the gospel is all about freedom. And only the gospel brings true freedom, lasting freedom. The kind of freedom that you are wired for and the kind of freedom you long to experience. Jesus said in John 8, 36, if the Son sets you free, talking about himself, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. 
Is the freedom of Christianity that Paul is discussing and describing here, is that the same kind of freedom that we hear around the world? On social media? On what we're watching? Is the, is, is the secular version of freedom the same? Is it aligned with biblical freedom? That's the question we need to wrestle with. I've been studying and thinking about this now for weeks, and I, I want to share some, some lessons that I've gleaned from these resources. Not all of these thoughts are original to me, but, I, but I've been thinking about freedom in this, and it's just God's providence that I'm preaching on this today. Here's how the world defines freedom generally. Here's a, a secular definition of freedom. It is this. I am free when I can do whatever I want as long as I don't hurt anybody else. Is that a fair definition of of how our world thinks about, lives out freedom? That I'm free to follow my heart, right? To make my own way. You do you. Listen to me. We're going to do a little bit of heavy lifting and then we're going to move. This is the foundation of what is called expressive individualism. We've talked about it from this pulpit, expressive individualism. The idea of expressive individualism is is that each person has unique feelings and desires that must be expressed if we are to become our true, authentic self. Let me say that again. Expressive individualism is the idea that each person has unique feelings and desires that must be expressed if we are to become our true, authentic self. Is that freedom? That's my question. Is that freedom? And listen to me carefully. If you don't know this already, all of us, but especially our kids and our young adults, are being saturated. They're consuming content that is saturated in the idea of expressive individualism. I should be able to do whatever I want, whatever I feel in my heart, is right without anyone telling me it's right or wrong because that's the only way I can be my true self. Before I share what biblical freedom looks like, let me just show, share a couple reasons why that definition of freedom doesn't hold up on its own. It literally fails on its own terms. And I'm sharing this because it can feel very alluring. You go to high school, you go to college, you hear this stuff, and it feels like, man, Christianity, wow, I've been taught it's all like this, and now I I have so much more freedom. I can do whatever I want. And you don't realize there's a lot of holes in that definition that no one's ever told you. Like this, first of all, if freedom is I can do whatever I want as long as it doesn't hurt anybody, then that means this, then we could never challenge anyone. We can never challenge each other. You can't say to anyone, that's wrong. That's not right. That's what Paul does in verse 13 here. He literally says, you were called to freedom. And then he says, only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the sinful flesh. You see that? In other words, don't use your freedom to destroy love. There are right ways and there are wrong ways to express our freedom. If everyone gets to to define for themselves who they are, how they live, no matter what, then we can't say anything is morally right or wrong. And I suspect that's part of why this definition of freedom is so appealing. Right? Because it does away with any authority. It especially does away with God. Who gets to decide what is right or wrong for me? Nobody gets to decide except me. 
Who gets to decide that what I do is not hurting anybody? Well, what if it is? And I don't think it is, but you think it is. You can't tell anything to me. What if you're hurting me by you living however you want? I can't even tell you. It doesn't hold up, you see? Secondly, this definition of freedom doesn't account for the complexity of the human heart. Paul literally says, Christ came to set you free, to give you freedom. And then he turns around and says, but don't use your freedom in this way. How could he say that? Why? Because your heart is filled with all kinds of desires, and some are healthy, and some are not so healthy. Your heart, in fact, is filled with desires that are literally contradictory. You say, no, they're not. All right, let me, you want to put it to a test? Here we go. I want to be healthy. I want to have energy throughout my day. I want to be able to work hard all day, come home and have enough energy to play with my kids, enjoy my wife, my family. I want, I want the energy to do that. But listen, I also want to eat ice cream and candy bars every single day. I'm serious. We're on vacation and there's this gelato place and they had so many flavors of ice cream that are like adult flavors that are like mind-boggling, like blueberry and white chocolate and, and, and cream. It was like, ah. Oh. I was like, if I lived here, I'd, I'd eat this every day. I want to play golf every day. But I also want to be able to keep a job. <laughs> and, you know, and have enough money to feed my family. Am I really free to do whatever I want? Do you see how this fails? I'm not poking fun at it, but I am showing you, I've said this many times, anything worth believing is worth questioning. I think if you, if you start questioning what the Bible says, you start kind of poking at it, it'll withstand those questions. But this definition of freedom does not withstand the idea that our heart has contradictory desires. Kids, do you want to eat dessert every single day? Yes! Do you want to be able to say to your parents, no more veggies, no more, no more fruit, I just want to eat all carbs, pasta and breads, bring it on. Right? That, at least that's my kids. That's some of us adults. But also at the same vein, don't you also not want to have a heart attack when you're like 20? Kids are like, what's a heart attack? Don't you want to be healthy, basically? The definition of freedom that I can do whatever I want breaks down when you consider how complex our heart's desires are. Each of us has to figure out which desires are actually healthy for us, which fit with how we were designed, which ones benefit not just me, but those around me. Some desires are actually selfish. And if no one can tell me that, then that freedom seems pretty weak. Finally, real freedom has to be compatible with love. That's Paul's point in verse 13. You were called to freedom, now use your freedom to love and serve one another. In other words, don't use your freedom to destroy love for others. If your freedom betrays love for others, if it keeps you from being able to act in selfless, sacrificial ways towards others, that's not real freedom. Because you are wired for love. You need love. And you need to be loved. It is literally one of the core needs of the human heart. And love inherently involves not doing some things you desire, but literally giving up some of your desires. 
Have you ever loved someone and been able to do whatever you want? No, that's not love. That's loneliness. The world's definition of freedom isn't compatible with love. It's a faulty definition. We need a better definition. We need a freedom that allows us to experience what we need most and to live in a way we were designed to live. So what does Galatians 5 tell us about this gospel freedom? First, it tells us there are two threats to freedom in Christ. Two threats. The first one is, verses 1 to 12, which we didn't read, Paul warns us of the threat of legalism. Legalism. It's the belief that we can justify ourselves or be made right with God by obeying His law. It's a, a works righteousness that says, I can work my, I can honor God by obeying what He says, and therefore God will accept me. He'll make me His own. He'll forgive me. He'll bring me into heaven. And Paul says in verse 18, very explicitly, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So first, Christian freedom means you don't need to obey God's law in order to be accepted by God. That's freedom. Some of the Christians in, Gal in the Galatian church here were starting to believe that these false teachers who said this, you can become a Christian by trusting in Jesus. Yes, put your faith in Christ alone, but now, now that you're Christian, you must obey God's law in order for you to stay a Christian. And Paul's saying, no way, that's not freedom. Verse 1, that's putting yourself under a yoke of slavery again. The way you become a Christian, and hear me clearly, whether you're a Christian or, or maybe you're not a Christian, you're exploring Christianity, the way you become a Christian is to admit that your heart first is full of desires that are unhealthy. The Bible simply calls that sin. Meaning, you and I reject God. At every turn, we look to other things to be our functional gods, whether it's our money, our relationships, our body image, our education. We are good at coming up with something and saying, this is what will make me happy. This is my functional God. We were wired to love, to love God and to love people. And yet we have to first admit we have loved other things more than God. And when you admit that, when you can come to the place where you admit there is sin in my heart, there is selfishness in my heart, then you can look to Jesus who took the punishment for that sin on the cross, who paid the penalty of death that you and I deserved. He literally took your place and then he rose from the dead so that not through good works, but through faith alone, you can receive the gift of salvation, eternal life. It comes sheer, by sheer grace as a gift. And Paul is teaching us that is true freedom. You don't have to perform for God. You don't have to obey Him in order to feel worthy of God's love. No, that's what works righteousness. Gospel freedom is you get to experience the love of God simply by receiving it by faith. That's good news. In a world where every other religious system says, you got to work to earn, Jesus says, you got to receive as a gift. Christian freedom is freedom from a works-based righteousness. And this plays out in, in all, I mean, I, I've struggled, I have friends who struggle with still trying to perform, still trying to, to live up to a standard, still trying to be our very best, but in a way that, that we always feel like we're failing and God is literally looking like saying, you do not have to be perfect for, for me to love you. I love you because I love you, not because you're good or whatever. 
That's freedom. Secondly, Christian freedom is freedom from guilt. The primary purpose of the law, not the only purpose, but the primary purpose of the law is to show your guilt. To show where you have fallen short. And listen, even secular writers, I was reading some secular writers, even secular writers in all of history have said there's this weird problem in the human heart. Even if we get rid of God, even if we get rid of the concept of God, we still have this nagging sense in our hearts that we are guilty. When you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, he removes your guilt. He relieves the guilt. Things that you've done in the past, things that are still drawing feelings of shame in Christ, that guilt is not like, it's not like permanent marker and he rubs it a little bit away, but you can always see it. No, it's bleached out, man. It's gone. As far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed our transgressions from us. In Christ, that guilt is gone, that shame is gone. We're not condemned. We're loved, we're accepted, we're cleansed, and we're made new. Christian, are you struggling with sin right now? Like, like you're listening to me, and most people here have no idea what you're doing behind closed doors. You've not admitted it, you've not confessed it, but you know in your heart what it is. It's not right. It's hurting you and hurting others. But listen to me, that sin does not define you. In fact, the secrecy is is actually making you think that it defines you when in fact Christ came to set you free from that. That sin is not right, but it's not who you are. And what, what the freedom of Christ offers is today you can change. Today there's real freedom. If you're not a Christian, do you need to experience a freedom that isn't based on you figuring it out, but a freedom from a God who created you and designed you? Today, trust Christ. Paul teaches here in this chapter that that legalism isn't the only threat to our freedom. Starting in verse 13, now he warns us about the second major threat to gospel freedom, and that is license. License. What does that mean? License is the idea that since God has already forgiven us by grace, we can just live however we want. It's like a step cousin of the world's definition of freedom. Paul warns in verse 13, don't use your, your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. The flesh is our sinful self. It's the part of us that is literally twisted in on itself. Paul says, don't use your freedom as a justification for self-centered and self-indulgent living. That's license. To think that we can live however we want, think however we want, say whatever we want, without any regard to living according to God's design, Paul literally is telling us this is anti-gospel. In Romans 6, Paul addresses the same concern. He he preaches grace so much that he knows what some people are going to say. And he says in chapter 6 of of Romans, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, if God's grace is unlimited, if it never ends, should I just keep on sinning so I'll experience more of his grace? And Paul's like, no way! Don't even think about it. Christian freedom is freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. 
So what do we make of our freedom in Christ and these threats? Look, our freedom in Christ is a marvelous gift. We are truly free. I mean, free from the crushing burden of having to prove ourselves to God and even having to prove ourselves to each other. Free from having to perform in order to be accepted. I was in Sunday school and we were discussing in almost any other setting in the world, especially in our work settings, there is almost no room for grace, right? There are expectations of each other, of our clients, whoever, and like you got to hold each other to it. And so you're, you're so living under that. And then you, come, you understand grace and you hear about grace. You're like, how do I even do that? It's truly freeing to not have to perform with God or with each other. Free from the crushing burden also of living however we want. Did you hear me? Free from the crushing burden of living however we want. Freedom does not mean living however you want or what will make you happy. To live however you want, to do whatever you want is not freedom, it's bondage to your sinful desires. Don't buy the illusion that freedom means I can live and do whatever I want. We all know the classic illustration of a fish in water. I did this years ago here at church and I bought a real fish and a bowl and I ended up with a pet for many years. So I changed tactics. (laughs) This is not a real fish. But it looks like one, hopefully. If a fish were to say, if this fish were to say, I've been living in water my entire life. I know I have gills to exist in water. I know there are beautiful things in water. I know I've experienced the wonders of God's creation in water. But I am so sick and tired of living in water. Everything else around me is out in the air. They have real freedom. They can go wherever they want, choose whatever they want, eat whatever they want, see whatever they want. I'm stuck in this water. This is oppression. I need to be free. Can the fish then say, Woohoo! I want to be free. Now I'm free. Is that real freedom? I didn't do that with a real fish, by the way. <laughs> is this freedom? Do you see how crazy this is? Because the logic makes it feel like this is freedom. Things are so twisted around that what is actually destructive is seen as freedom. A fish in water is not oppressive. It's not holding it back. It's not rules keeping it in. It's living with the way it was meant to live in the design of it, of of how God created it. And that is true freedom. This is death. This is life. This is not freedom. This is true freedom. Freedom never means living however you want. Freedom means living according to our design. Fish were designed to swim. Birds were designed to fly. And people were designed, according to the passage today, to love and to serve. That leads to the second lesson. Be free and lovingly serve one another. 
You see, Christian freedom is freedom to love, Paul tells us, and therefore freedom to serve. Why? Because love inherently seeks to meet the needs of others. Paul commands us, don't use your freedom to satisfy your selfish desires. In other words, selfishness is the exact opposite of love. He says, instead, be really free. What does that look like, Paul? In love, serve one another. By the way, the, the word for serving here is a strong, it's a very strong word. You, you could almost translate it as slave. It literally reads, through love, be servants of one another. Let, it, let that be who you are, not just what you do. It sounds counterintuitive if you're, if you're tracking, wait, what? Use your freedom to give up your freedom and serve others? But look, let me, isn't this why so many of us admire and respect those who serve in our military? These men and women and their families have the God-given right in our nation to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, just like the rest of us. These men and women and their families make a choice. How do they use this freedom? They use this freedom in many ways to give up that freedom in order to protect our freedom. They're deployed for long periods of time. They spend many time away from their family. They're moved several years at a time all over the place, often putting themselves in harm's way when they're deployed. Does that sound like freedom? It depends upon how you define freedom. Martin Luther expressed the paradox of Christian freedom when he said this, a Christian is free and independent in every respect, a bondservant to none. A Christian is a dutiful servant in every respect, owning a duty to everyone. It's both and. It really is. You can't have one or the other, it's both and. You are truly free. You are truly a servant. You see, the opposite of love and being servants of one another is described in verse 15 here. Paul says, but if you would bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. The words bite, devour, and consume, these are all words to describe the activity of wild animals. You can kind of hear it even in the English translation. Sadly, he says, that's how we act when we have a faulty understanding of freedom. If everyone says I can do whatever I want, then if you try to tell me something, oh man, now, now we fight and battle and devour and consume one another. By the way, is not our current society a, 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 a sad case study of this verse? Isn't social media, you could put right next to verse 15, social media, media, whatever, anything public. Biting and devouring are destructive, meaning it, it, it's tearing down, it destroys, it neglects, it fights. Whereas Paul is contrasting that with love. Love is constructive, right? It serves, it builds up, it cares, it supports, it nurtures, it shares. To serve one another means we have to give up our time. 
give up our resources, give up our right to, to get our own way, our preferences. Only love can lead to this kind of selfless serving. Because to serve out of love is to strengthen and restore relationships. And here's the amazing thing about serving one another through love. Paul says this interesting thing in verse 14. He says, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. By actively loving one another genuinely and selflessly, Paul's telling the church in Galatia, you're actually fulfilling the very moral law that some of you are so paranoid about trying to obey to the last detail. You do not have to obey God's law for him to accept you. But when you love, you are living according to God's design, which is what the law was meant to show us. According to Paul, the Christian understanding of love necessarily includes serving one another. Using our freedom to live the way we were designed to live by serving, sacrificing, giving, sharing, caring. That's how you will be truly alive. So then let me ask you, are you serving one another here at Grace Baptist Church? I'm especially asking those of you who who are Christians who have committed to Grace Baptist Church, are you serving others in obedience to the Lord, out of love, in the freedom you have? Or have you simply said, I want to disobey this command and do what I want to do? This is what you were designed to do. This is who you were designed to be. Living in the freedom of loving and serving others is the fishbowl in which you are meant to live and thrive. To love God is to serve others. You want to experience the love of God? You want to experience the joy of God? You want to experience the beauty of God? Then I'm telling you, here, just take a chance. In love, serve one another. There's no way I can guilt you into serving. But I can convince you that you can serve out of freedom. You see, part of our vision as a church, this is our, our, our vision as a church. Our, we call this our gospel wheel. This is what it looks like to be a gospel-centered church. We want to be a church where every member is worshiping out of their understanding of the gospel, is making disciples out of an understanding of the gospel, is, is living in community out of their understanding of the gospel, and is serving out of their understanding of the gospel. It's literally one of the four arrows Why? In John 13, Jesus is spending his last evening with his disciples. The last few hours before he'd be arrested, tried, beaten, and crucified. And it says in John 13, 1, that he knew, knowing his time to leave had come, it says. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. How does he show them his love to the end, at the very end of their life, uh, at the very end of his life? How does he show it? He literally gets up from the table. He takes off his robe. He picks up a towel and a wash basin, and he gets down on his knees, and he begins to wash his disciples' feet, every single one of them, including Judas. 
Do you, you, do you see what's happening? He is, he is the king of the universe. He is the freest person in history. If there was someone who could do whatever he wanted, say whatever he wanted, it was Jesus. How does he use his freedom? He humbles himself. He serves. He literally sacrifices his status. Jews never washed each other's feet. That was for the peasant servants. But Jesus says, I am so free. I am so secure in my relationship with the Father that I can lower myself and wash my disciples' feet in love. And then Jesus gets up and says, do you understand what I've done? He says to them, a servant is not above their master. So you go and do likewise. And says, you'll be blessed if you do it. Christ's love, I said this at the very beginning of the series, Christ's love empowers our love. But listen, Christ's service, his serving, empowers our serving as well. Jesus loved his disciples in a practical way here. Yes, in just a few hours, he would love them in the greatest way. He would love us in the greatest way. He would come and die for us. The greatest act of love and service. But here in John 13, he's loving them in a simple, practical way. Why is that important? Because when God calls us to be servants of one another, that's often done in simple, practical ways. Serve with kids in Awana. Help teach a Sunday school class. Be an usher or a greeter. Sing in the choir. Take a meal to a family. Be a leader in the youth group. Lead a small group. You think, I, those aren't big things. I, I can't change the world. Yeah, yeah, Jesus doesn't call you to die for the sins of the world. He calls you to do similar things like washing feet. And that looks like showing up with babies crying on a Sunday morning. Simple ways of serving can show love in profound ways. This was made real to me this week, and I'm closing with this. I met with a couple this week who've been visiting our church for several months, and they gave me permission to share. In the last year, the wife got a devastating cancer diagnosis. I mean, they were shocked and overwhelmed. And they literally said, they, they got in their car and they started driving around Bowie trying to process things, right? They're just driving around together and they see at Jira Place a bunch of people outside and some food on tables and they think to themselves, what's going on there? And they stop to see what's going on. And it happens to be the Grace Gives Food Ministry, which provides food boxes to families in need families in our community. They got out of their car. They started talking with one of our volunteers. Eventually, they opened up about the news, and this church member lovingly listened and cared for them and built a relationship with them and continued to talk with them and text with them and pray for them, and she invited them to church, and they share with me that they haven't been at church for many years, haven't been a part of a church community for years. In fact, there's a lot of abuse and trauma in their past. They've endured much suffering. But they showed up here at Grace. And God, and this is their words, that God spoke to them a transforming, life-changing way. They're still coming. And I had the privilege of sharing with them the hope of Christ. 
They're hungry to learn more and to grow in their understanding of the gospel, especially in the face of an uncertain future for them. Do you see? All of that was made possible because men and women in our church were say, said, yes, I want to live the way God created me to live. And in this particular way, it was by going out and getting food and putting boxes together and saying, we love you enough to say, here, no strings attached. You need food? We're not even going to ask you. You come, we'll give you food. You come, you just want to talk, we're here. We couldn't have even designed that. Do you see that? We're not smart enough to think about that kind of stuff. But there is one who is. How are you serving one another? We have a ministry fair right after the service where you can see the various ministries of the church. Listen, the staff, if for nothing else, the staff has done such an incredible job of setting it up. It is absolutely beautiful in there. Go and learn about them and prayerfully consider where you can serve and be served because gospel freedom means serving. And maybe you're thinking, I'm going through a trial right now. How can I serve when I'm suffering? Look, all I can tell you is from firsthand experience that often our most effective service is done not from our strengths, but from our weakness. God can and will use you. Will you let him? Do you need to trust Christ now and experience true freedom of salvation, forgiveness, eternal life. Would you bow with me as we pray? Father, I pray this morning for those in here who may be hurting, who who maybe even can't can't fathom the idea of, of thinking of others and serving others because what they're going through feels so, so overwhelming. God, would you show them that, that, that there is freedom, freedom to be served by the body of Christ, by the spirit of Christ, that you are the greatest servant. For those who are wrestling, maybe there are those who have been sitting on the sidelines. They love you, they love your church, but they've not yet shown that love, expressed that love in serving. God, may today be a day where you just bring it home to them. Show them, may something just change. May the light switch on. May the gospel be so, so illuminating in their hearts that it would compel them. This is what it looks like to be fully alive, fully free, rolling up sleeves and doing simple things that can change eternal destinies. God, for those who may may not even believe the gospel, they have questions, they have doubts. Father, this morning I pray that you would would allow this true understanding of freedom to, to transform them right now. By your grace, Lord, may they turn to you in faith and receive the truest, greatest freedom ever, forgiveness, justification, eternal life, not because of how they live, but because of how Christ lived on their behalf. God, do this for your glory, for the building up of your people, for the love of God among us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.